so this morning is uh, the third week in Advent, the third part of our series. We've been talking about Advent with Isaiah. And if you remember last week, which doesn't make a lot of sense, we actually read from Romans as we were in uh, Feast Sunday, uh, talking about peace, especially peace within the body of Christ, within the church, about how we, as Paul talks about, loving one another, holding one another above ourselves. And actually, as far as it's up to us, that we be at peace or that we cultivate peace with one another not only in our church family, but in our community, that we'd be known as a people of peace. And then the week before that, we talked some about hope, listening to Isaiah as he was talking and and proclaiming uh, that we wait, wait on the Lord, and that we talked about how in our culture, waiting has more of a passive idea. I just wait, right? But in the biblical sense, waiting was more like anticipating, preparing, whether physically or, or outwardly or preparing inwardly, that waiting was more of an active thing in the biblical text. Well, this morning we come to the week of joy, celebrating this good news that Christ has come and that he's coming again. But I have to tell you, honestly, I I don't know what it is. I don't know when it started, but sometime after the idea of Christmas and all that and presents, um, as I got older, the season of Advent became more of a a difficult time for me, Uh, especially as I start thinking about the difference between the way things are and the way they're supposed to be the way that they will be one day when Christ come again. I, I just have always kind of had this glass half empty uh, approach to Advent, which is interesting. I, I don't quite understand it, but it's how I am. <laughs> and, um, and I think maybe some of you can relate to this too. Uh, some of you know what it's like when you have these great memories of your kids being at home. And one minute you're thinking about that, and then the next minute you're kind of a bit sad because you're realizing that they won't be here this summer, or this, for this Christmas. They'll actually be with their family. Or maybe some of you are celebrating Christmas, or you'll be at a party, and you'll think, wow, this is a great party. This is so much fun. And then the next moment you'll start thinking, I wish my loved one was still here to be a part of it. Sometimes Christmas can be difficult. I remember our last Christmas last year was really difficult for our family. Tracy was just finishing chemo, and... It was great. Our whole family came. <laughs> uh, both of our parents and Tracy's aunt and her brother were all here. And it was great, but it was also that mix of good and bad. So I think many of us can relate to this. And how do we, if we're honest with these things, how do we continue to be joyful? How do we celebrate joy uh, on the third week of Advent when we have these sort of things going on? Well, I've been, I, found, I found help in the scriptures. I found help especially in the prophet of Isaiah, or the prophecies of Isaiah. And um, uh, to be honest, I, was, um, I, I selected this text, Isaiah 61, felt led to it. And there's lots of parts where Isaiah, we'll read it here in a minute, where Isaiah talks about joy. But honestly, this week, I was struggling. I felt stuck. I was reading it and trying to make sense. Lord, what? I, I, I'm beginning to understand what you're saying or what you said through Isaiah but what am I supposed to say to our church family? What? I, I was stuck. <laughs> and as sometimes as I do, I just started writing the sermon. And as I was writing, I realized that Isaiah, not only does it talk about joy, but also gives us a model of this, how we arrive at this joy. It gives us a direction or a, a trail to follow to where we arrive at this joy. Now, before we read, one thing I want to remind us of is that Isaiah was a prophet who lived about 700 years before Jesus. And as you read through the prophecies of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, you'll find that there are things that speak to his immediate time, 700 years before Jesus. There are things that speak to the time when Israel went into exile. There's things that speak to the time when Israel returned from exile. There's times, I mean, 
Uh, there's one book who was, um, I think it was written by John Calvin uh, like 500 years ago, the, the Gospel According to Isaiah, that the early church, many of the things that they understood Jesus was through reading Isaiah. So Isaiah, not only does his words speak to uh, the future of his immediate time, but also to Jesus and his coming, but also uh, Jesus coming again. And so even Isaiah's words not only speak to things that have happened before us, but they th- speak to things that will still happen in front of us. So these are some of the things that are happening in Isaiah. And if you would, open your Bibles to Isaiah 61. Or if you want to, you can read it uh, right here as well on this white sheet. So uh, read this with me. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness to the, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself like, with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the, Lord, excuse me, the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before the nations. So as I'm reading through this text, I'm realizing that, that Isaiah is guiding us through, giving us a trail to follow to arrive at joy, regardless of our circumstances. Because he's writing these words to a people who were facing all sorts of trouble. When he speaks these words, and not only the words, the time that he spoke them, but the, the situation that they address, they address the time when Israel had returned from exile and their place was destroyed. And they're coming and they're trying to re, not only rebuild the temple, but rebuild their own city and re, re, uh, rebuild their whole nation. And so people were discouraged. But Isaiah writes these words, and we find that as, if you follow through the text, you find that he starts in a couple places. One, he starts is with, with the fact that the Messiah has come. And two, he talks about what will happen when he comes. And we arrive at joy through these. So follow with me. So the first thing he says is that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. In this text, it says... Um, the word, uh, the verb Mashah, which is from the word we get Messiah, that he has been anointed. That's what uh, Messiah means, an anointed one. And so Jesus is this Messiah. 
And it talks too about the spirit of the sovereign Lord being upon him. Now it's interesting, I didn't know this until I read into it in a commentary that was talking about, there's only two places where it talks about being anointed and the Holy Spirit resting on someone. That was when Saul was made king and when David was made king. And so here we have this very specific text talking about this Messiah who is also king. He's the one who's been anointed. And when he's been anointed to do it, it speaks specifically, it says, to preach good news to the poor. Now in Hebrew, the word, we get poor in English, which is a great start, but it's actually the Hebrew word anav, which is broader than just poor in terms of not having money. It also means those who have been uh, knocked down, oppressed, those who are held under somebody's thumb. So it has a sense of being not just poor in money, but also those who are underpowered, those who someone is uh, treating them cruelly which was similar to the situation that Israel was facing when, when Isaiah spoke this text for them. So there's this idea of the Messiah who has a spirit upon him. He's come to preach good news to the poor, to the knocked down, to the held down, to bring them good news. And then it goes on to talk about those who mourn in Zion, he'll give them a crown of joy instead of ashes or a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of gladness to anoint someone, and then to bring joy to them, to celebrate, rather than the oil of mourning, to provide them a garment of praise, you know, praise, like praising God, joyfully (laughs) proclaiming God's goodness, a garment of praise rather than despair. So these are the things that the, this Messiah is going, that, that actually in the text, that the Messiah has done these things. If you want to look with me, look at, at verse uh, 1 through 3. Uh, if you look at the first part, it says has anointed. The point of this is being that the Lord has already done it, that the Lord has anointed the Messiah, Jesus. And he has sent him to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives. Now, it's interesting, this is, if you notice, that's past tense, right? That God has done this. And it's actually the perfect tense that something happened in the past that still has meaning for us today. And I think, you know, without Jesus, I think this would be hard to understand, especially for us today. But because of Jesus, it begins to make perfect sense. It's interesting, I don't know if you recognize this text, but actually Jesus... uh, taught from this text one time when he was teaching in a synagogue in Nazareth. It says that he stood up, took the scroll, read this passage that the Lord had anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to set free the brokenhearted, or excuse me, to bind up the brokenhearted, to restore sight to the blind, and to set the captives free. He read that, and then he said, sat back down, handed the scroll to the, to the um, person who was taking it, and said, today this text has been fulfilled in your hearing. That Jesus is the one who fulfills this role of Messiah. Jesus is this one who fulfills this role of anointed Messiah, who the Spirit is upon him, who has come to preach good news, and to set captives free, to bind up brokenhearted, to proclaim the year of the Lord. That all these things began in Jesus. So Jesus did this in Nazareth. And so we begin with the fact that the Messiah has come. And to bring this back, how this helps us with joy, is that we realize that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the one whom God had been speaking about through his prophets for generations, he has come. And he's come to do these things. He has come, and it says he has set them free. He has bound up the brokenhearted. That already he's begun doing these things.
So this is where we begin with our joy in the fact that Messiah has come and the fact that he's doing these amazing things. All right, so you're with me? Well, then you keep going and it starts talking about what will happen when the Messiah comes. And so if you would, if you look at verse 3, I actually have it split. Uh, there's, there's a, if you look at verse 3 and verse 4, there's a little paragraph break. And right at the top, right above uh, verse 4, it says, they will be called oaks of righteousness. The they in that sentence is referring back to those who grieve in Zion, the first part of verse 3. That's who they is. Those who are grieving in Zion, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will renew the ruined sites. If you notice, there's this shift. There's a shift from what the Messiah has done to what they will do, those who mourn in Zion, those who he has come to help. Descent, did you hear that shift? It's from the past tense to what will happen. And so we begin to understand that one, he talks about one, that they will be oaks of righteousness. In the ancient world, an oak was similar to our understanding. Oak was firmly planted, was not moved, was not easily blown over, took tons of work to, to take an, a, a mature oak down. That they would be oaks of righteousness. Talk too about they would be rebuilders of the city. And you can imagine how powerful this, these prophetic words of Isaiah were to a community that was trying to rebuild their nation. You can imagine how powerful it was to them. But not only that, but you can imagine how important it is today. It's interesting, I was reading, in, it was uh, the commentary by Professor Oswald, who was a, an Old Testament professor, writer of a Isaiah uh, commentary. And he made a great point. He said, you know, great cities like Babylon, some of the great cities of the Assyrian army, these places are rubble today. And yet it's Jerusalem that continues to be a thriving city. 2,000 years later, 2,700 years later after Isaiah spoke these words, that the city has continually been rebuilt. And so, uh, the, these, this hope, this promise that, that these people, that these, those who mourn in Zion will, will rebuild the city, but also that they will be priests of the Lord, ministers of the Lord our God. It talks about these, these things that they will do because of who the Messiah is, these promises that God has made through his prophet Isaiah. And he says, too, they'll receive a double portion and they'll rejoice forever because of it. You can see how important that is because to a people who had been exiled, who had been um, made slaves and taken away from their own land and now they return and they still have all these neighboring countries that are in power and there's different forces trying to take over and there's things are still shaking out, uh, that to hear this good news that they will receive a double portion of land after they had been, their land had been stripped from them. You can see how this begins to bring joy, how encouraging this begins to be. When they had been abused and mistreated by first the Babylonians, actually first the Assyrians and the Babylonians, uh, then the bee returned back to their land and to receive a double portion, how that would bring joy. Now it's interesting because as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, I'm hearing what God is speaking for the people of Israel, for the people of God. And then I start thinking, too, about our portion, how we have been grafted in, as Paul speaks in, the, in his letter to the church in Rome. He says, we have been grafted into this tree. We have been adopted into this family through the Messiah. Because we believe in Jesus, we have been brought into this family of God, into this people of God. In fact, it's Peter who says to, to the churches in Asia Minor, he says that, you were once not a people, but now you are a people. 
He says that you are um, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's choosing. That we too have a portion in these, these promises. That we too, as the church, we can look forward to Christ's coming again. We can look forward to the Messiah when he comes. And this hope that we have, this hope that we have in, um, in being priests of the living God, celebrating who God is. And so as we look forward, we, we, see, we begin to see that we have this share in what God is doing. So we can look forward and rejoice in that. At the same time, we can also look back. We can look back to the fact that the Messiah has come, as Isaiah speaks in the beginning of this passage. So we look back to the reality that the Messiah has come and we look forward to the promises that God has made that our Messiah is coming again. And that brings joy. And this is where Isaiah ends. And actually it's in verse... Um, it's in verse 10. He says, Isaiah begins to speak for us. He says, I delight in the Lord. I delight in the Lord and my soul rejoices in the Lord our God. He begins to take up praising God for what he will do and for what he has done through his Messiah. And it's interesting because he talks about um, what God will do. And as I start thinking about how this matters today, that we begin rejoicing when we see God's kingdom advance, when we see people, when we see those who are brokenhearted, when we see them bandaged up, when we see captives set free. When we see the good news that the Messiah has come, that God's kingdom is coming, preach to those who have been knocked down and held down. We see the kingdom advancing when we see those who had um, been uh, brokenhearted or, or, or in despair, they are given a crown of beauty. They've been given oil of rejoicing, oil of joy rather than of despair. They've been given a new robe of praise. And speaking of robe, that's one of the things that, that Isaiah mentions at the end. He says that we will be given... Uh, this robe of salvation, this robe of righteousness. That these are the things that Jesus has done through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Especially on the cross, we've been given this robe of salvation that nothing that we do can separate us from the love of God. That we receive grace from our Lord. And so we've been given this robe of salvation. So I started thinking about how the things that Jesus, or the things that God has done, the way that Jesus fulfills this idea or this person of Messiah, this, this Savior. And I look back and it gives me joy. I look forward to what he will do and the promises that he's made and it gives me joy. And I started thinking about this this week, about how do I follow Isaiah through this passage. You know, it's one of the things that I was thinking of as, Jesus, or as uh, Tracy was talking with the kids is that she was talking with him about joy, that sometimes joy isn't easy. <laughs> sometimes joy isn't happiness. You know, happiness has a lot more to do with things that are happening to you. You know, things go well, you're happy. Things go bad, you're not happy. Joy is different. Joy sustains. Joy maintains regardless so much of what the situation is. And I think about even for us, even last year, how difficult things were for us last year. But there were still moments of joy. There were still moments of joy with our boys. There were even still moments of joy of celebrating uh, Christmas, the birth of our Lord. But joy happens regardless of the situation we're in. 
And I don't mean to minimize. I know some of you are hurting. Some of you have friends who are, this is their worst time of year. But there's still joy to be had in remembering that the Messiah has come and that he's coming again. And I started thinking about this in terms of two garments. <laughs> there's actually a few garments mentioned in this passage, but one of them is the garment of salvation and the other is the garment of praise. And I started thinking about this, about the reality is that because Jesus came, because the Messiah came, we have this garment of righteousness. We have this robe of righteousness, this garment of salvation. It's been given to us already simply by believing into him. This isn't something we have to earn or have to work for or have to try harder at. It's been given to us, this garment of salvation, this robe of righteousness that we didn't deserve. It's interesting, Mike, you were talking about it today, about the snow and about um, one of the, the guys that you uh, looked up to, that you, that you learned from. And he talked about snow reminds us of how, um, especially how much snow is out there now, uh, that all the dirtiness like all the brown dead of October and November, it's all covered with white, and it's white and clean. And he said, and Mike's friend reminded him that this is like how Christ covers over our sin. This is how the blood of, of our Lord covers over everything that's unclean, dirty, muddy, dead in us. In the same way, we've been given this robe of righteousness that covers over everything. And because we have the first robe, this robe of salvation, we can also wear this garment of praise. Praising God for who he is and what he's done. Amen.